Hey, welcome to you. Lovely to be together for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, if you are familiar with the stories at all, you'll know that uh, Reaper Cheap is one of uh, C.S. Lewis's most beloved characters. Uh, everyone loves the mouse, Reaper Cheap, because he is um, little, uh, tiny, but he's always up for a fight. And uh, he's brave, he's courageous, he's willing to take on the giants. If there's uh, to be single combat, he's willing to um, charge into single combat and represent Aslan. Uh, he's the little guy that's willing to do anything and everything. Um, and I think throughout Advent, our themes over the last three weeks have kind of been a call to bravery, kind of been a call to uh, stepping up, kind of been a call to take faith and to take courage and to, and to give it a go. Uh, we talked on the first Sunday of Advent about you can have a second adventure and a third adventure and a fifth adventure. Uh, you can go through the wardrobe again. Uh, one of the themes if you're using an Advent journal in that first week of Advent, was the, the idea of a divine interruption. Because so much of this story, as we get closer to Christmas, is, is angels turning up and saying, fear not. Um, I, there's a little cartoon, there's this angel. Oh, I actually got sent a little cartoon this year. It was a, a biblical, uh, it was an angel for the top of the Christmas tree, but it was a biblical one. Uh, and it like had nine wings and 17 eyeballs. And it, it, you know, it looked like it was out of um, Stranger Things. Uh, and then I've got another cartoon, and it was the same angel kind of thing saying, fear not. And the man saying, this is literally the scariest moment in my life. <laughs> the angel saying, fear not. And uh, the, the devotionals often in that first week were, um, would you be up for a divine encounter? An angel of the Lord that comes and speaks to you and says, fear not, and changes the whole trajectory of your life. And the general feedback from the people I was talking to was, um, I know you meant to say yes, but I'm feeling like, no, thank you. I've got it all ordered quite nicely, and I, I don't really want that divine encounter. It's taken me 42 years to order my life like this. I don't really want it going skew with. Um, you know, that's more something for 18-year-olds who haven't sorted anything out. Do you want a gap year adventuring with Jesus? Oh, yes, I do. It's like, you know, 42-year-olds, no thank you. But the call to faith of Advent was, can you go through the wardrobe again? Can you know, go on another adventure? Can you have a divine interruption and allow that to kind of set the course of your life. Uh, Advent 2, we were looking at the idea that it never happens the same way twice. Lucy to Aslan was, I thought you were going to turn up and chase the baddies away and do this and we'd all live happily ever after. And he's like, oh, sorry, never happens the same way twice. Uh, and that can be disorientating. Oh, I, I know how Jesus talks to me. It's uh, whatever it might be. Thursday morning quiet time at the cafe <laughs> with a coffee. It's like, yeah, I don't feel like he's said anything in a year of doing that. It's like, well, maybe you're in a different season, and maybe God's speaking in a different way. It never happens the same way twice, and that can be disorientating. Third Sunday was the idea of, as we grow, Aslan appears bigger to us. Christ appears bigger to us, which I, I think I, that was the live stream last week. It wasn't live, pre-recorded. Uh, not that our understanding of God grows more liberal, but our, our sense of mercy, of justice, of peace, of the, the necessity of this. We, we get this bigger vision of the wonder and beauty of Christ that, that leaves the little Jesus we used to serve behind. I, I talked about the mountain I climbed when I was a child and the altitude up there and how difficult it was to breathe and how just massive that was. And yet to return to Mount Pawanui a little bit older as an adult, it's really not as kind of remarkable as what it felt when I was a four-year-old kind of thing. And I wonder if we could return to the Christ of our childhood, we'd realize, oh, hey, what's... I was serving a pretty small Jesus, but I've come to see 
that Jesus is far bigger than that. So be brave and be courageous. Constantly we're with the initiation of God, but constantly there's this response that is required of us, that is asked of us, that is put before us. Hey, how are you going to respond to this? Come follow me. Uh, Fear not. Uh, Go through the wardrobe again. Go on a second adventure. Uh, I talked last week, but but he's this quite mad tour guide and not even always present and not always guiding like we would like him to guide. And yet he says, come follow me. Always present, but not always in the way that we would like. Uh, And all of this is this mysterious invitation to circle around this 12-month calendar of the life of Christ and to to go into all of those seasons all over again. Uh, But not necessarily with the clarity we might like. Advent is always a response to rumors, a response to murmurings, a response to a shadow of something that we can't see clearly. We're so familiar with the Christmas story that we know it's about the coming of Messiah. But if you were living through that for the first time, Simeon had an idea, and Anna had an idea, and angels showed up and, and talked to Joseph and Mary, but, but not many people had a sense. Even if you were looking for it, you could easily miss it, because it's just a, it's a rumor, it's a prophetic word, and I don't know if you've ever had a prophetic word, but that tends not to, it, it tends to have enough to aim you somewhere, but not quite enough clarity to, you know, I'd actually prefer a 12-step plan, God, with all of the steps laid out, and a schedule so that I know when I'm on track or off track. It's a rumor. It's a murmur. It's a whisper. It's a shadow. And Advent calls us to run after that. A fleeting glimpse, a hum, 2,000 years ago, and yet still a hum in our lives today, and still a hum in regards to that reality that Christ will come again. We've got little to nothing to go with, and yet we're called to be brave and to go with that anyway. A whisper, a breeze, sense of possibility called to a reaper-cheap-like attitude, even if we don't have much to go with. Pick me, pick me, let's do this. Let's push play. And uh, the older we get, sometimes the braver we get in terms of, yep, push me, pick me, pick me, push play. And the older we get, sometimes the less brave we get, and the more we look around at the other people that we'd love God to pick, which would be far more convenient for us. So the theme, really, that we've been looking at is you could describe it as a knightly theme or, or a theme of chivalry, a theme of being brave, a theme, a theme of being willy. Uh, the Line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the theme of that book, there's a planet behind all the Narnia books, that's a whole other story, but the planet behind Line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is Jupiter, and Jupiter's the kingly planet. Uh, the planet that sets the atmosphere we looked at last year of the silver chair was the moon, and it's all swampy and moody and depressing, but in Prince Caspian, it's the planet Mars that... that C.S. Lewis themes in as a medieval scholar. He's a bit of a genius. But uh, it's the theme Mars, and the theme of Mars is that of, of knightliness, that of being brave, that of taking up arms, that of being courageous and chival. And there's this sense throughout Advent so far that we've been calling each other to be brave, a theme throughout the book. Uh, as a kid, we used to sing a song, I may never march in the infantry, uh, ride in the cavalry, uh, shoot the artillery, I may never uh, fly over the enemy, and it was, uh, but I'm in the Lord's army. And um, the more you think about that song as an adult, the more that's very confusing theology to be raising our children. And I may never march, but it had actions, so that was why it worked. We're all marching around, I may never, hey, did anyone actually sing that? Anyone? Oh, oh, oh. 
Man, look at that. And I just thought we were all recovering deconstructive Pentecostals, but we're actually just marching the infantry people. Um, you know, uh, apparently it came out not long after World War I, or even during World War I. And, um, and apparently the original lyrics were, I'm too young to march in the infantry. I'm too young to shoot the artillery. I'm too young to ride in the cavalry and fly over the enemy. But I'm in the Lord's army, at least, kind of thing. It's like, oh, how disappointing not to be able to go off to World War I. That sucks, but at least you're in the Lord's army. It's disorientating. Uh, that's why we have this thing called deconstruction, because later on we need to revisit these kinds of things and go, what's going on there? Uh, there are a few military themes in the New Testament. We looked at the, the armor of God only a month or two ago. Uh, from start to finish, it is a, it's a subversion of everything military that we might think of. It's a subversion of everything that is violent or... Uh, Killing people or hurting people. It's, it's, you know, our, our, our sword is the word of God, which is life. Our, our, our shield is faith. It's, 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 the, it's the subversion of Roman military might. Uh, but there is a verse in 2 Timothy that talks about uh, being in God's army, kind of. And this is what it says, 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 to 4. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So there's that, there's the armor of God, there's a couple of other verses. But again, it's subverting the idea of military power that we see in the Roman Empire. Uh, what it's encouraging here is not to get tangled in civilian affairs in the sense of the cares of life, the worries of this world. But don't get tangled up in those. But be like somebody that is in an army, willing to lay down one's life for the cause and for the commander and all that. But it's not calling Christians to violence. It's calling us to the knightly kind of spirit. Not in the sense of swinging the sword, but in the sense of being brave. In the sense of being courageous. In the sense of being wholehearted. In the sense of being uh, on board. In the sense of being those that are under authority. The centurion who comes and says, yeah, I don't need to bring my servant. You say, be healed, and he'll be healed. I know what it is like to be under authority. And she says, I haven't seen faith in Israel like that. It's, that. it's that kind of, that's the idea. That's the metaphor that's been stolen or is being, you know, uh, subverted from military kind of sense. Be those that focus and, uh, focus and discipline and attitude is that of, a military-type person, or that of a sports person who's going to discipline their body and, and train to win the prize. Be that kind of devoted and committed. And we see that in Reaper Chief. We see that in this tiny little mouse who's willing to, to take on uh, any... I mean, he, fights, he wants to fight the dragon in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader that turns out being, to be Eustace, but you know, he wants to fight the dragon. He's ready to go. Don't get entangled in civilian affairs, the cares of this world. And then it says, uh, join with me in suffering. Join in the suffering, which is always good news that we love to hear. What's the suffering? Well, the suffering is ultimately martyrdom. Martyrdom is the ultimate suffering, and, and, it, and it's throughout Revelation. To be a martyr is the same word as what it is to be a witness. So you could say it's to be those that are a witness even unto death. Those that will speak the truth, even unto death. Those that will tell the story of Christ, even unto death. And obviously Christ is the ultimate martyr who is faithful even unto death. 
And yet Stephen becomes that first martyr that's faithful unto death as well. And then we have, we have other martyrs as well. To be a martyr is to be a witness, though it may bring persecution, though it may bring accusation, though it may end up bringing death. As history unfolds, though, we have the rise of Christendom, and in, and in most countries, not all countries, but in many countries, martyrdom or having to lose one's life becomes pretty un, unlikely uh, in the not too many centuries after Christ, though, of course, we still have martyrs in some countries today, but most of the world, not likely. So in the 7th century, there, there came about this idea of three different colors of martyrdom. Uh, so in the 7th century, they talked about white martyrdom. Uh, white martyrdom was the, the giving up of the way of the world, and you may receive persecution out of your witness to Christ, your belief in the gospel, your willingness to, to, to live the way of Jesus. You might get some persecution. You might get some pushback. You might get picked on. You might lose out in life according to the way that the world measures things. You might lose out a little bit in life, but that's what it is to be a Christian. That is what it was to be a white martyr. Then they had the idea of green martyrdom. Green was to give up something of huge significance for the sake of the gospel, uh, to give up a certain aspect of one's life, and to count that as loss for the good of the gospel. So, so many of the, the, the monks or the priests or the nuns or the hermits that would go and live in caves, or that they'd give up, uh, take, like my auntie took a vow of chastity, a vow of poverty, a vow of obedience. They, they gave up these things for the sake of the gospel, things that other Christians didn't give up. They, they, they gave those things up. And that was to be a green martyr. And then you had a red martyr, which was to ultimately lose your life to be killed for the sake of the gospel. So by the 7th century, there's these, there's these different ideas of what it is to bear witness and what some of the consequences will be, and an understanding that not everyone will end up dying for the sake of the gospel. Uh, not everyone will have to give up you know, key elements of their life for the sake of the gospel, but all of us are called to ultimately bear witness to the, to the reality that it, it may cost us something along the way. So there's a sense that we're in the Lord's army in the sense that we're called to lay down our life for one another, for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. Not to take up arms, but to lay down our lives and bearing witness to the truth and being willing to suffer for others. Uh, there's a number of martyrs in Prince Caspian, not that end up getting killed, but early in the story, he has a, Prince Caspian has a nurse, uh, an elderly lady who tells him stories of Aslan and stories of Narnia and stories of talking animals and stories of a kingdom other than the kingdom that he sees. Uh, and then when the, the evil uncle king finds out about that, she's outcast and thrown away. So there's a sense in which she is a, a martyr and bears the cost of having borne witness. Uh, there's Dr. Cornelius, who is his teacher, Caspian's teacher. And eventually word gets out that he's been telling Caspian about Aslan and Narnia and all of that, and so he's outcast and thrown away. Oh, he has to run away. He has to escape before he gets killed. There's a sense in which Lucy ends up being persecuted by her family and others for her willingness to speak the truth about Aslan. So you've got these themes coming through. Uh, in a sense, each is truly knightly in their willingness to serve and lay down one's life. So let's read a little bit from Prince Caspian. Uh, we're at the end of the story. The battle's been won. Everything's been sorted out. Cas uh, Aslan's putting things all to right order. What have we here, said Aslan? For at that moment, a curious little procession was approaching. Eleven mice, 
six of whom carried between them something on a litter made of branches. But the litter was no bigger than a large atlas. I don't really know what that is. Uh, no one has ever seen mice more woebegone than these. They were plastered with mud, some with blood too. And their ears were down, and their whiskers drooped, and their tails dragged in, their gra in the grass. And their leader piped on his slender pipe a melancholy tune. On the litter lay what seemed little better than a damp heap of fur, all that was left of Reaper Cheap. He was still breathing, but more dead than alive, gashed with innumerable wounds, one paw crushed, and where his tail had been, a bandaged stump. Now Lucy said Aslan. Lucy had her, Lucy's gift in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, was a little flask, and she'd pour it on sick people, and they'd, they'd recover. Now Lucy, said Aslan, Lucy had her diamond bottle out in a moment, though only a drop was needed for each of Reaper Cheap's wounds. The wounds were so many that there was a long and anxious silence before she had finished, and the master mouse sprang from the litter. His hand went at once to his sword hilt. With the other, he twirled his whiskers. He bowed. Hail Aslan, came the shrill voice. I have the honor. But then suddenly he stopped. The fact was, he still had no tail. Perhaps Lucy had forgotten it, or perhaps her cordial, though it could heal wounds, could not make things grow again. Reapercheep became aware of his loss as he made his bow. Perhaps it altered something in his balance. He looked over his right shoulder, failing to see his tail. He strained his neck further till he had to turn his shoulders, and his whole body followed. But by the time his hindquarters had turned to and were out of sight, uh, by the time his hindquarters turned to, they were out of sight. Then he strained his neck, looking over his shoulder again, with only the same result. Only after he had turned completely round three times did he realize the dreadful, dreadful truth. I am, I am confounded, said Reaper Cheap to Aslan. I am completely out of countenance. I must crave your indulgence for something, for appearing in this unseemly fashion. It becomes you very well, small one, said Aslan. All the same, replied Reaper Cheap, if anything could be done, perhaps Her Majesty, and here he bowed to Lucy. But what do you want with a tail, asked Aslan. Sir, said the mouse, I can eat and sleep and die for my king without one, but a tail is the honor and glory of a mouse. I have sometimes wondered, friend, said Aslan, whether you do not think too much about your honor. Highest of all high kings, said Rupert permit me to remind you that a very small size has been bestowed upon us mice. And if we do not guard our dignity, some allow themselves very unsuitable pleasantries at our expense. That is why I have been at some pains to make it known that no one who does not wish to feel the sword as near his heart as I can reach shall talk in my presence about traps or toasted cheese. Mouse traps. No, sir, not the smallest, uh, not the tallest fool in Narnia. He glances up at the, the giant then. Um, Why have your followers all drawn their swords, may I ask, said Aslan. May it please your high majesty, said the second mouse, whose name was Peepercheek. We are all waiting to cut off our own tails, if our chief must go without his. We will not bear the shame of wearing an honor which is de denied to the high mouse. Ah, roared Alan, uh, Aslan, you have conquered me. You have great hearts, not for the sake of your dignity, Reaper Cheap, but for the love that is between you and your people, and still more. He tells, 
now he references back to the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And still more, for the kindness your people showed me long ago when you ate away the cords that bound me on the stone table. And it was then, though you have long forgot it, that you began to be talking mice. You shall have your tail again. Before Aslan had finished speaking, the new tail was in its place. Then at Aslan's command, Peter bestowed the knighthood of the order of the lion on Caspian. And Caspian, as soon as he was knighted himself, bestowed it on Truffle Hunter and Trumpkin and Reaper Cheap, and made Dr. Cornelius his Lord Chancellor, and confirmed the bulgy bear in his hereditary office of Marshal of the Lists. And there was great applause. I am completely out of countenance. I must crave your indulgence for appearing in this unseemly fashion. It becomes you well, small one. <clears throat> he can sleep and eat and die for his king, but a tail is the honor of a mouse. I have sometimes wondered, friends, said Aslan, whether you do not think too much about your honor. Lewis is, uh, is a bit of a genius, and this is a fascinating moment in the story. Uh, he's speaking about the nature of humanity with the illustration of a mouse, and then the nature of Christ with the illustration of the lion. Uh, Reaper Chief is quite obviously happy to be knightly, to lay down his life, to serve, to do whatever it takes, to be a martyr in the sense of a white martyr, to be a martyr in the sense of a red martyr, to lay down his life completely. To be a green martyr, though, to give up something precious to him, to give up something that he draws so much dignity and honor and worth and, and social status in life from, to give that up, Reaper Cheap's not so keen to do that. Not so keen to do that at all. It seems unseemly. It's unfathomable, unthinkable for him to go without his tail. And yet Aslan says, it becomes you very well. The high king, the king of kings, the lord of lords says, no, no, you, you, you look totally fine without a tail. It becomes you very well. I wonder if that or how often that is true of us. Willing to be a white martyr, willing to be persecuted, and if push came to shove, all right, I'd be a red martyr. I don't want to be a green martyr, though. That's quite serious, giving up significant... Red's bad. Red's losing your life. It's helping the heckler on the front row. So white is just like persecution, and then red's laying down your life, but green, yeah? All right, sweet. I remember when Pastor James, when, we, when I first got married, he said, um, oh, we were engaged, Lisa and I were engaged. He said, oh, would you, would you uh, die for Lisa? And I was like, yeah, of course I would die for Lisa. And then he said something along the lines of, would you give up the NRL for Lisa? I was like, Why? Why, why would I need to give up the NRL? Like, that's not a, I enjoy watching the NRL. That's what I watch. and like, like, That's my sport. Yeah, I know, but would you give up, that up for Lisa? Well, well where, what kind of situation would you actually have to require giving up? That, that's, a, that's a nonsense question. That's what it is to be, well, that's not what it is to be a green martyr, but that's the idea of it. There's this, it's like, well, well give up this? This is, this is, I'd rather, you know, I, I sing that song, the kids love it, the one. I'd take, you know, I'd, I'd stand in front of a train and I'd catch a grenade and, I'd, you know, all of those for you kind of thing. Give up the NRL, though. Well, I, really, I actually really enjoy the NRL. What about the six o'clock news when you get home? No, when you get home, you watch the six o'clock news. That's what you do. 
You give that up? Reap a cheap, be persecuted, sure. Give up his life. No, not the tail. I think we're like that a lot. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. I live for you alone and just this one other thing that's really, really important to me. Uh, it's my career. Uh, my career is, it's, there's a, I get a lot of value out of this, a lot of sense of worth out of this. This is, what, this is what places me in life. This is how I find my place and feed the family and all of these kinds of things. It's very important. So I, I live for you alone and my career. And um, you can have all the other things. It's like, you know, people in Lent, I've given up golf for Lent. It's like, you don't even play golf. It's like, yeah, I know, but I've given that up. I'm not going to be doing that for Lent. Like, I don't, I don't think that, that doesn't count. Like, you, you, you give up the things that would cost you something. I live for you alone and, and my favorite pastime. My favorite pastime is very important to me. It's how I recharge. I don't recharge. You burn out in life, so I need this. To, so, no, you, you can have all of these things, but not, it's not, there's not a thousand other things. There's these one or two other things that are different for each of us. Ah, give up. Give up this. Live for you alone in my house, which is perfectly staged, ready to be on Instagram any moment, kind of thing. It's like give up everything, but oh, I'm not. Oh, I can't have people come to the house. Like they mess it up and stuff. And then you have to no, no. The house is a sanctuary. Give up everything for you. I live for you alone in my perfectly staged house. I'm going to hold on tightly to that. My beautifully arranged schedule. Lord, everything is yours, other than my schedule. You want money, I'll give you money. You want um, us to have something else to do, that's fine. But my schedule, it's very, I don't like that. I have routines. I'm a routine person. If I get out of routine at all, you can have everything, but, but not that. How undignified, how unseemly, how unfathomable, how bizarre to think to give up this thing that defines us, this thing that shapes us. This is the thing we, this is even the thing, God, that we feel, I feel you've called me to do. Yeah, well, it doesn't, it's, it does not become me to be before you in this manner, having given all this up. Actually, it, it becomes you quite well, actually. Oh, that's uncomfortable. That's the, that's the green martyr. That's my auntie taking vows of chastity and poverty and obedience and and only serving in countries of the world that are third world plus have a war going on at the same time. And if the war finishes, she'll move to a different one that has a war. Uh, Auntie Dorothy, <laughs> why are you doing that? It's what it is to be a green martyr. And Reaper Cheap, he's, he's white and red, but he's not so keen on green. And I think many of us, white, and if we had to be red, green is a very uncomfortable space to be finding ourselves in. And yet Christ says it becomes you to lay down such a thing. To actually lay down something of obvious importance in your life. To lay down something of obvious importance in your life. Christ says that's actually quite becoming. Reaper Cheap says no, though. Doesn't want to. Please. Begs Aslan's indulgence. And what's the character of Christ? What's the nature of Christ? All right. Okay. That's fine. You hold on to it. Well, I'll, I'll hear your tail. I'll put your tail back. Not for your dignity and not for the reasons that you think, but you know, there's some other stuff going on and the love that your, your peers bear you and all this. You can, you can hold on to that. 
and Reaper Troop carries on the discipleship journey. And I think that that's how Christ teaches us, treat, uh, treats us. Oh, I, I, I want to lay down everything, but I'm not quite ready to lay down everything, even though I feel like you're asking me to lay this down. Okay, carry on with it then. That's fine. Allow me to knight you. Still knights Reaper Cheap. Oh, what a, what a loving, kind embrace. I think Reaper Cheap still needs to get in his discipleship journey to the place where he's willing to give up the tail. But in that moment, he's not willing to give up his tail. And Aslan goes, okay, here's your tail. Well done, good and faithful servant. Carry on. I'm not really ready to give up my career. Okay. You, you probably need to learn to lay that down at some stage, but well done, good and faithful service. Keep going. My schedule's so important to me. I'm not, I'm not letting you interrupt that, Jesus. Oh, okay. That's fine. Well done, good and faithful servant. Keep going. Go through the wardrobe again. Go around another circle. We've still got that to learn in our lives, but Christ is kind and gracious and generous. And, all right. Carry on. Do your thing. We hold tight, we won't give up, but Christ is for us, nevertheless. Alongside us and continues to extend love and grace and traveling mercies. How good when we're not willing to pay the ultimate price that Christ is still willing to pay the ultimate price and journey with us. I find that incredibly comforting. Lewis highlights our tendency to give many things, but not the thing. Whatever the the thing is, and it'll be a different the thing for all of us. But then he makes reference to the stone table. Talks about the mice chewing the ropes that held Aslan to the stone table. Where Aslan had his mane plucked. You remember the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Where Aslan had his mane plucked. What's the dignity of a male lion? It's the mane. Had his mane plucked and then was murdered on the stone table. So Rupert Cheap's not willing to give up his tail for the sake of his dignity, and then there's this little reminder. Remember Aslan, who gave up all of his dignity, all of his honor, laid down his life? Of course, it's a reference to Christ. Remember us when we're not willing to give up that one thing? Just, that's fine, carry on the journey, go around again. Oh, and remember Christ. Remember the nature of God who's willing to lay down his life for us, to give up all honor and all dignity? the willingness of Christ to forsake all. The mouse, the small man, the human, wouldn't give up the little dignity and little honor he had. The lion, the God-man, the divine, the infinite in glory, gave up his mane, all honor, all dignity. His life, he gave up everything. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with the one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient, even unto death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father. Lowly he comes in a manger. Lowly he comes riding on the foal of a donkey. 
Lowly he comes, nailed to a cross. This is magnificently back to front and upside down and wrong, around the wrong way and everything that it's not meant to be. Uh, you had Ricky Bobby last week, I think. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, in your golden crib or whatever. It's like, no, he didn't. No, Ricky Bobby. He was never in a golden crib. That's the whole point. They'd present the newborn Caesar in a golden crib. They'd hold this baby up in this golden crib and present the new Caesar to the, or the son of the Caesar to the masses. Christ is laying in a trough, laying in a feeding trough. It's the total back to front, upside down contrast. An offense to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks. This is Christmas. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Led by the light of faith serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. Led by the light of a star sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from the Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in, lonely, in lowly manger, in all our trials born to be our friend. That was last Advent or the Sunday before. What does Advent say? He says, shall we be friends. He knows our need to our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king, behold him lowly bend. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother. In his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy, grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. It was becoming to God in Christ, to lay down everything, to let go of all honor and dignity. It was becoming to God to have his beard plucked and a crown of thorns placed upon his head. It was becoming to let go of that honor and that dignity. But that didn't just happen at the cross. That, that's the whole cross-shaped life of Christ from birth through to death, the laying down of honor and dignity. Uh, the Germans on the next slide, the Germans call it Wilgengedusmenge. That's the, that's the correct pronouncement. I spent two hours practicing that before. Claudia, can you yell it out for us? There you go. That's what it is. It means Christmas spirit, Christmas feeling, that Christmas atmosphere. The Germans are so brilliant, they have one word for it. We, we, we try to describe the, the wonder and the love and the feeling and the goodness. And even going to the shopping mall can be fun with people walking around smiling and Snoopy's flying over and it's like there's something in the air. We have paragraphs. They just have a, a word for it. It's awesome. There's a secular version of this, obviously. Home Alone, Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2, Die Hard 3, none of the other Die Hards. Polar Express, Lights, Candy Cane, Santa, Jingle Bells, The Mall, The Holiday Season, the the, even the acceptability of Starbucks for just those five days leading into Christmas, where it's, it's even all right to go to Starbucks and have a, a lolly coffee. It, it's a part of the Christmas spirit. There's a Christian version of this too, the hope and peace and joy and love. Thrill of hope, grace, forgiveness, kindness, acceptance, goodwill to all. And even still... 
that Christian sense of the Christmas spirit does bubble over into the secular world that we live in. And undergirding all of this is the infinite loving kindness of God. How else should we describe it? It's the, it's the co-suffering, sacrificial love, the self-emptying love of God that undergirds all of that. The kind that doesn't hold on to whatever amount of honor or dignity there is, but is willing to let go and to give it all. That's the radical love that undergirds Christmas. That's what makes Christmas what Christmas is. Reaper Cheap couldn't bear the humiliation, the indignity of it all. But Christ takes all upon his shoulders. The last Sunday of Advent, Christmas, just around the corner. Challenges, will you embrace that Christmas spirit? Will you be that person of love and hope and peace and joy to the world around you? It's becoming to lay aside even that thing that brings you so much worth and dignity and value. It's becoming even to lay that aside for others, to lay that aside in love. That's the radical love that undergirds Christmas that we're called into, to embrace co-suffering, sacrificial love. Reaper Cheap's thing was his tail. I think one of the things for me this year has probably been uh, capacity and competency. Reaper Cheap, don't let me go without my tail. I'm probably like, God, don't let me do this without that sense of capacity and competency. Prided myself on that for all my adult life. Don't take away my capacity or my competency. And Christ says it's becoming. It's, it's, it's becoming to function like that. It, it is not becoming to function like that at all. Very difficult. It's becoming. So I do all I can to claw that back and hold on to it. At the same time going... Hmm. What does it mean to lay down that thing that we value? Oh, God, you can have my money, but don't take away my competency and my capacity. Like, that, that's a thing. Give you everything, but not those things. Don't make me into a blubbering mess. <laughs> I don't want to give that up. Why not, says Jesus? It's actually very becoming. Letting go, though, I find that Christ holds me firm. Reaper Cheap still needed to figure that out a little bit later down the journey, but when we let go of that one thing that is the thing, we discover that, oh, Christ holds us firm. Even within that, in losing my life, I discover that I'm finding life. So Christmas is our celebration of the greatest gift of God in Christ Jesus, showing up in history. As well, though, Christmas is our example of what it means to give. We're invited to walk and step with Christ, and what are we invited to give? We're invited to give honor, dignity, status, power, those things that, that that's what makes me who I am. So oh, yeah, well, it becomes you to give that away as well. It's the great gift of Christmas, God forsaking all to give. It's the great invitation of Christmas that what are we willing to lay down to give? as well.
to live in the co-suffering, sacrificial, infinite loving kindness of God. To live in that, but to be those that would extend the co-suffering, sacrificial, infinite loving kindness of God to the world around us as well. Let's stand together. We'll close with communion. The last thing we do together as a church family, we've got our Christmas Eve service, 7.30 on Saturday night, Christmas Eve, but this is our last Sunday together. And we'll make the last thing that we do, communion, and then in the new year, on the 22nd, we'll make one of the first things we do, communion as well. So this morning, come and receive the infinite loving kindness of God table of the Lord is that representation of the co-suffering sacrificial love that was willing to have a mane plucked, a crown of thorns placed. God said it's becoming. Tables made ready not of the church but that of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's made ready for all those that would love, who love the Lord and those that would like to love him more. All are welcome at the table. The faith-filled, the certain, the uncertain, the doubters. Space for everyone at the table. Come not because of your own goodness, but come because of the goodness of God. Come, you have followed faithfully and you have tried but failed. There's always space for you at the table. Come and meet the risen Christ. Come and eat from the tree of life rediscovered. For Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Turn your hearts towards Jesus and receive the salvation of God. Jesus is the bread of life. Eat and hunger no more. Come to the table of the Lord and receive the life, the love, the mercy, the goodness, the grace, the peace, the joy, the hope of Christ as your own this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please come. Don't be shy. Table here at the front. Two tables down at the back and receive communion this morning.